are listening to First Church Charlotte. Praise the Lord, everyone. Good to see you all in the house of the Lord today. It's always a joy together with other believers and encourage one another and greet one another and shout hallelujah. Uh, that's, not, that's not just something that church people do because they're church people. It's actually biblically founded and commanded uh, together in the sanctuary of the Lord and to exalt his name. And so we want to do that here today. Uh, so yeah, I was thinking that I titled my sermon wrong. Uh, just a moment, I'll tell you what I'm titling, but when I saw my wife's name up there and it said Charla Helms, PharmD, which if you've never seen that before, it just means doctor of pharmacy, and then her two colleagues and also Sister Tammy of PharmD, I realized I should have preached the following message. So three drug dealers came to church. We've got a serious crowd here today, I'm glad to see that. Uh, All right, today I am preaching from a familiar story, John chapter number 11, and it is, if you're at all familiar with the book of John, you know this is the story of Lazarus's resurrection. We're going to talk about that, and my title for the next little while is going to be simply this. Some of you will have heard some version of this before as far as a phrase, but I thought it was helpful for us today, and that is simply this. Dear problem, my God is bigger than you are. Dear problem, don't look at your spouse and say, dear problem. That's a little too close to the truth, if you know what I'm saying. (laughs) No, I'm having fun. Uh, Dear problem, my God is bigger than you are. Great to see you all in the house of the Lord today. I feel faith in the house. How many of you feel faith in the house? How many of you believe that right now God could touch somebody, heal their body, strengthen them, spiritually empower them? All right, I want to do something right now. Uh, Winston, Brother Winston is uh, here today. He is sick. He needs the touch of the Lord. Now, I would like you, uh, he's sitting right back there. You see where I'm pointing? Turn around in your seat. He's standing up right there. I want you to extend your hand to him. He has, is fighting uh, cancer in his body. He needs healing. And our God is a healer, and so, Brother Winston, we speak the healing power of Jesus' name over you right now by the authority of the name of Jesus, by the power of the name of Jesus. We ask that God would heal your body for his glory in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. Let it be for your glory, O God. Let it be for your exaltation in the earth. In Jesus' name we pray. Now somebody lift your voice, put your hands together and thank God because he's a healer. Amen. Amen. Dear problem, my God is bigger than you are. When we read John chapter number 11, this uh, resurrection of Lazarus is one of the seven signs that uh, the Apostle John uses to share uh, the testimony, the gospel, the biography, so to speak, of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it becomes an instructive spiritual uh, story. There are teaching that there is teaching the Lord does through uh, narrative, we call those parables. Uh, Then there's teaching that the Lord does that is simply divine-inspired knowledge, telling things to be, telling the reality of the human condition, telling the needs of the human heart. And there's also miracles that Jesus did that are a gift to the individual receiving the miracle. Do you see? But more than that, they are a testimony to the generations of who God is and what God can do. This story here of Lazarus is uh, uh, it's satisfying on a surface level. It's dramatic. It's exciting. Uh, you have all the big themes of the gospel of the Lord. You have all of the big uh, miraculous demonstration uh, that is in his ministry. But there's also 
a story beyond the, the dramatic, shall we say, uh, surface of the story where an individual dies and they are brought back to life uh, through the power of the name of Jesus. Uh, so let's, let's consider this not just as a, a satisfying story that we uh, tell one to another and we teach to Sunday school children. Uh, let's, let's consider it as a sign. Uh, There's many miracles that John could have chosen. Uh, He didn't have to just choose seven. Uh, He chose these intentionally. Let me remind you uh, that John doesn't tell the story the same way that uh, the other gospel writers told the story. He he doesn't simply uh, give you the spiritual conflict that is happening. There's uh, not demonic type uh, deliverance demonstrated in John. There, there's not uh, the, the same uh, demonstration of, of the teaching of the Lord Jesus Christ. Like, for example, uh, there's not a single parable told in the book of John. Uh, there are seven miracles that are chosen, and John is trying to tell us something about who he is, what he can do for us, and how much we need him. And so this is one of the miracles. So there is depth to this story. And I, uh, I want to try to take you along with me. I, I think the first thing to understand is obviously the power over death, the victory over death, hell, uh, and the grave. That, that's the first obvious lesson that is in the story. And the truth is uh, the fear of death is universal. The fear of death is not simply something that Uh, If you have it, then you become religious. It is a universal, and the result of that is whether or not an individual is a believer, uh, they still have to face their own mortality, and they still have to face the fears that are in uh, facing death. Let me, just to show this, to demonstrate this, uh, let me tell you of a a writer who writes for uh, a lot of atheist publications. Uh, Her name is uh, Greta uh, Christina. And she is, she writes for like magazines like the Skeptical Inquirer. My point of saying that is not to try to make her a bad person. That's that's to miss the point. Uh, I wouldn't know if she's a good person or a bad person. Um, I wish she were a believer, but beyond that, I am not trying to speak judgmentally of her at all. Um, she just writes as an unbeliever, as an atheist, and and, and this is what she writes. For the Skeptical Inquirer, uh, a publication read by atheists, Um, let me read her words. Uh, Death can can be an appalling thing to think about, not just frightening, not just painful. It can be paralyzing. The fact that your lifespan is an infinitesimally tiny fragment in the life of the universe, that there is, at the very least, a strong possibility that when you die, you disappear completely and forever, and that in 500 years, no one will remember you, and in 5 billion years, the earth will fall into the sun, and this can be a profound and defining truth about your existence, that uh, you reflectively repulse, that you flinch away from it, refuse to accept it. She goes on and she's confessing the fear of our mortality, the fear of a creeping death. And I wish I could say that it was only, it was only uh, something that people who did not have faith faced. But the truth is, I've seen people of faith uh, struggle with this and wonder uh, after years of serving God, whether or not they were ready uh, to, to go home. And I, I first of all, want to speak this reassurance to all of you. Uh, you are not enough, and you will never be enough, but Jesus, he's enough. Yeah. And so uh, I give you that hope for this reason. If you assess yourself and ask yourself, am I uh, worthy of being salvation, the, uh, worthy of salvation, the answer is always no. If you ask yourself, is there a divine covering? The answer is yes. And Jesus is able to do what you and I could not do. So the wrong question is, am I enough? The right question is, Jesus enough? Oh, praise God, somebody. And so uh, here you see the, really this reality of, of death uh, in the household of people who are believers. And Dear friend of Jesus, Lazarus, he gets sick. Uh, He has, for a long time, been close to Jesus. Whenever Jesus and his disciples are in Judea, 
they oftentimes stay at the house of uh, these siblings. There is two sisters and a brother, and they uh, stay, they live together um, in their family home. Their parents are deceased, and Jesus will often stay there. He's close to them. Uh, They are believers. They are very much a part of the life of Jesus, very much a part of the ministry of Jesus. They are counted among the 70 whom Jesus sent out as representatives uh, of his ministry. And so I want you to see their, their close place uh, to the heart of the Lord Jesus and their high place in the ministry of, of Jesus. And now we see that Lazarus is sick. And uh, when Jesus is first told, you would think that uh, he would uh, immediately come to see his friend, but he doesn't. And this is a disappointment to everybody. You all and I myself hope that if I'm sick that uh, you'll call and check on me and you'll worry about me and you'll see if you can help. And uh, when your friend doesn't do that, you wonder how friendly they are. And Jesus hears about Lazarus being sick and uh, he does nothing. Uh, this is not what we were looking for. Uh, where is Jesus? Uh, he's not here. And Jesus tells his disciples who are with them that Lazarus is not sick unto death. They know. But there's this problem Lazarus doesn't know, and his sisters don't know. Now, this is not uh, the, the way we want to experience this. If you're going through a trial, you want the prophet to call you and say, I'm here to tell you, mighty God, you're going to be okay, and everything's going to work out great. You're like, thank you, Jesus. But it never happens that way, does it? It's always someone else who knew God was going to do it. In the moment, you were terrified. You were fearful. You were like, I don't know what's going to happen next. Lazarus doesn't know. All he knows, he's getting sicker and sicker and sicker. And uh, a couple days pass, and Jesus finally tells his disciples, well, we, we, need, to, we need to go check on Lazarus. And uh, they argue with him, and another day passes, and you get the idea here. Uh, Jesus doesn't seem to be in much of a hurry, and uh, the disciples say, look, you can't go check on him. Um, it's dangerous in Judah. Now, now, why is it dangerous in Judah? Well, the last time Jesus was there, they tried to kill him. Uh, that's pretty dangerous. Uh, he only escaped by spiritual and divine intervention. They tried to stone him. And so things aren't very safe in Judah right now. And so he's not in Judah. It's not his time. And now you're telling me that we're going to get to go back to Judah to check on our friend now that he's dead. Uh, this doesn't seem to make a whole lot of sense. And you can almost, if you read the, I put the whole chapter in your notes, so it's all there for you. Um, Notes are on the website if you aren't used to that. But it's almost as though the disciples are in a sulk now. And you can uh, see Thomas uh, basically complaining in some way. He's like, well, I guess if you're going to go, we've all got to go and die with you. <laughs> uh, and so they finally show up in Judah and uh, Lazarus has been dead four days. That's important for you to understand because there was precedent in the ancient world for people going into a coma, and after a couple of days, uh, they would have been diagnosed incorrectly. The family thought they were dead. The family wrapped them up in their burial clothes, and they wake up, and they're like, this is a really bad joke you're playing on me. Stop it already. And that had happened uh, one day. That had happened two days. That had happened three days, but there was no precedent uh, in the life of these Jewish people for anybody being dead four days and then it being a diagnosis error. There's no precedent for that. So in the civil law, in the understanding of the people, if you're dead four days, honey, you're dead. <laughs> On the fourth day, yea, behold, verily, thou art dead. And uh, Jesus waits until all of the diagnosis errors are over. You no longer can say a mistake has been made. You no longer can say it's not supernatural. You no longer can argue it away. You no longer can debate it. Four days dead, and Jesus shows up, and uh, he comes walking down to the road to this house of mourning. There's two sisters there, Mary and Martha, and they are both of them handling their loss according to their personality. They're different people, and like siblings often do, they, they, they formed each other. And so 
Uh, you guys, if you have brothers and sisters, you know how this can work. Uh, your, your brothers and sisters, a lot of times, in many ways, will have this kind of formative effect on you. And if you have a brother or a sister who is super emotional, you may end up being the practical one in the family. Well, that's exactly what's happened uh, with Mary and Martha. Uh, Martha is a doer. She's the kind of person, when someone dies, uh, she calls the funeral home. She makes the arrangements. She negotiates on the price of the casket. She makes sure that there is food prepared for everybody. And uh, Mary is the one who falls out, flops over the casket, and wells so everyone uh, is trying to comfort her in the moment of her distress. So you have a doer and you have a feeler. Uh, there are in this church uh, both personality types represented, and that is not an accident. That's the way it should be. The gospel cannot be one size fits all. It has to be able to meet you where you are, acknowledge who you are, take your hand spiritually and lead you somewhere in the Lord Jesus Christ. Can I have some agreement in this house? Now, uh, as a pastor or a preacher, it's oftentimes that if I'm preaching, I like the feelers more. But if I call a work day, I like the doers more. I've been to churches where the preacher uh, will shame the doers because they're not uh, boisterous enough. Uh, I grew up and I'd go to churches and I'd, I'd hear churches and the pastor would be like, I don't, if you don't get out of that pew, I don't even know how you're saved. And I, I always thought to myself, you've got me mixed up with my brother <laughs> on both counts. First of all, he's the one in the aisle and he's the one that ain't saved. Uh, we actually have a family from his church here today. I don't know where you're sitting. I don't have my glasses on. But anyway, glad you're here. Love you. Um, so uh, whatever is your personality type, you belong in this house. You may worship loudly. You may worship quietly. But I'm glad you're in this house. You make this church better. You can lift up your holy hands without wrath or doubting and glorify the name of Jesus. Come on, somebody. Let's do it right now all across the church. Lift up your hands. Lift up your voices. God, we bless your name. We worship you today. So Mary and Martha are in a house. They're sad. They're mourning. And uh, Jesus comes and knocks on the door. And uh, Martha is the one to answer the door because that's what doers do. Someone's at the door. Uh, we can't all sit around and use up one box of Kleenex after another. Uh, somebody has to answer the stinking door. And so she gets up, looks a little bit disgustedly at her sister, and with a huff begins to walk. You know the walk. Don't act like you don't. <sighs> Over to the door opens the door and there's Jesus coming to her uh, house and uh, she's like Mary and Mary's like I can't face Jesus I can't get out of the bed I refuse to wash my face I'm not getting out of my house robe I am too emotional for this and so uh, Martha talks to Jesus and greets him and she says to him look let's let's be practical here that's what practical people do uh, if you had been here, uh, Jesus would not have died. And uh, Jesus tries to make connection with her. And that connection is this. I am the resurrection and life. I want you to, I want you to stay with me because this is, this is the point of John telling the story. There's a lot of stories John could have tell. This is the point of John telling the story. I want you to see this. It's not just an exciting miracle. There's something else that's happening here. Uh, Martha, she's, she's too focused on the problem. My brother has died to see the answer. Now, let me say that again, and I'd like you to think about what problem you're focused on. Martha is too focused on the problem to see the answer. She's so focused on the problem, she cannot see beyond the problem. And when she cannot see beyond the problem, uh, Jesus makes this attempt to, as it were, invite her to see beyond the problem. But she cannot. She cannot see what he's saying. She can only see her problem. And so she brushes 
her answer away by a dismissive theology. Oh, and someday it'll happen. Someday it'll happen. She is missing the point. Is she a bad person? No. Is she a sinner? No, besides the fact that we're all sinners. Is she trying to, uh, in some way, you know... uh, be an unbeliever? No. She is a person of courage. She's a person of faith. I will remind you that when Jesus is crucified, it's going to be the Marys. It's going to be her sister. It's going to be Martha there close who are by the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. I want you to see it is not a case of her trying to be carnal, trying to be doubtful. She simply cannot see the answer because her focus is on the problem. Uh, If you have ever worked with a camera, you understand a concept called depth of field. Now, I've learned to like uh, photography, and we have some phenomenal photographers uh, in our church. If you haven't seen Brother Jeff's work, um, and and, and there's some others here. I better not start mentioning names. But if you haven't seen some of their work, then I'm telling you, we have some phenomenal photographers. But the point is this, is I can create a picture, and I can put the focus here where everything back here is blurry. Or I can open the aperture and I can bring everything into focus. Do you see what I'm saying? The depth of field will determine what I can see. So it is with Martha. It's not that she's a bad person. It's not that she's not, she doesn't have faith. It's that her ability to focus on the problem, what I don't have, is blurring her ability to perceive her answer. She goes to her sister, and she's like, Mary, um, the master is here, and he's asking for you. I love this image because, uh, like many of you, I have been overwhelmed with sadness in my life, and I, like many of you, have felt like I wasn't ready to face the public. <laughs> I wasn't ready to show my face. I was hiding. I was, as it were, kind of in the bedroom, and I'm not coming out, never getting out of bed, so help me God. But the Martha comes and she says, he's asking for you. I want to speak to anyone who feels like you're in survival mode here today. You feel like you're just barely making it out. I want to say to you the same thing Martha would say. The master is here and he's asking for you. Did you hear what I said? You've been suffering. You've been hurting. You've barely made it. You have just put your best face on and tried to make it to the house. I'm here to tell you, Jesus is here and he's asking for you. Don't stay in that back room of your survival mode. Don't hide in the closets of your life. Jesus is here and he's asking for you. So Mary troubles herself, and she gets herself sorted out, and she comes out, and what does she say to uh, Jesus? She says uh, the same thing that her sister did, basically, some version of the same thing. If Jesus, if you had been here, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. This is a very, how shall we say, insightful way of reflecting our human condition, which is some version of this. I'm hurting God, how could you have let this happen? Uh, Let's be honest, it's your fault. This is a human response. I'm living through loss, and I'm blaming God. He, if he loved me, he wouldn't have let this happen. If you cared about me, you would not have stayed away. You, could, you couldn't say you love me and let me go through this. This is a very human response. Some of us have lived through this and survived it, and some of us may be living through it right now. I am hurting. How could you let this happen? How can you say you love me and let this happen? They don't come out and say it's your fault, but they kind of do in frenemy language. Y'all know frenemy language? That's where you tell them, but you pretend you didn't tell them uh, because you want to tell them, but you don't want the consequences of having told them. (laughs) Frenemy language. If you had been here, my brother would not have died. Hint, 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 hint. Uh, This is heartbreaking to Jesus on a level that I honestly believe is difficult for us to understand. Uh, This is the moment, with the exception of the Garden of Gethsemane, where Jesus uh, weeps, as it were, great drops of blood. This, I believe, is the greatest pathos, uh, the greatest passion, the greatest demonstration of emotion 
by the Lord Jesus Christ in all of the Gospels because this is the moment. You all learned this verse in Sunday school. If you went to Sunday school, shortest verse of the Bible. After both the doer and the feeler look at Jesus, fail to see in him is an answer bigger than their problem. And in the kindest way possible, perceive that he's the cause of their problem. After they cannot see, even when he's told them, I am the resurrection and life. And they still cannot see, even now. You see, here's the reality. If anybody's going to understand who Jesus is, these are the people who need to understand. If anybody's going to perceive the unique gift of heaven that is given to us through the life of Jesus Christ. These are the people who need to say it. This is like a a pastor standing in a church calling the church to pray and say if anybody in this city is going to pray, it needs to be us. If anybody is going to care for lost people, it needs to be us. This is as if the leader reaches out to the team and says if anybody's going to make a difference, it needs to start right here, right now with us. Let me just take a moment and say to First Church, if anybody's going to have revival... It needs to start right here at First Church. If anybody's going to believe for the miraculous intervention of God, it needs to start right here, right now. This moment of pathos, we're almost never given Jesus' emotion. We're given the state of mind. He's tired. He's hungry. We're not given emotion. Here, we're given emotion. Jesus wept. It breaks his heart. Uh, The most common thing I've heard taught or preached, uh, and over the week I kind of did a review of some of the messages I had access to, the most common reason for Jesus weeping is some version of this. Jesus is mad at death. Uh, I I don't, that doesn't resonate with me. I I don't think Jesus is mad at death. Uh, um, I don't think that death is a big problem right here. I uh, I could be wrong, but I I think Jesus is getting ready to show the world uh, that death is not a problem. (laughs) Uh, I think he's getting ready to uh, uh, foot stomp the devil right here. And he's going to demonstrate that this isn't a hard thing. We don't need uh, 12 barrels of water. We don't need uh, 70 priests of Baal. <laughs> All we need is Lazarus come forth. Uh, I don't see death as the big problem. However, I see the inability of people who should see to be blind to what's right in front of them. Uh, the, the reality is uh, something is disappointed in the heart of God. Something breaks his heart because they cannot see who he is. And what he's about to do. In fact, he had told his disciples uh, that he was going to do it. And then he tells uh, Mary and Martha uh, before he does it that he is going to do it. Uh, He's going to demonstrate, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. He's going to demonstrate that. He's sad because they cannot see beyond their problem to perceive their answer. When I try to understand this moment, I I, I want to do the the best way whenever you have scriptural mystery. Uh, Usually the best way to to, to try to understand it is to let other scripture interpret it and think of other passages of Scripture that may give you insight to that, to that moment. And as I was thinking about this this week, I thought of a passage, Luke 17, uh, where Jesus is approaching a village. He's still outside the village, and he is uh, accosted by uh, a group of lepers. And this is Luke 17. And, and the lepers cry out, Jesus, Master, uh, have mercy on, on us. And Uh, Jesus, when he sees them, he even at a distance, he calls to them and says, go show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. Isn't it interesting that uh, they had to hear the promise, they had to act on the promise, and during their action, the healing comes. 
It's not enough to pray for rain. You need to carry an umbrella. (laughs) Do you see? Uh, It's not enough for them to say, oh, that sounds good. They need to go show themselves to the priests. And as they are going, as they are demonstrated, as they are demonstrating faith in the word, what happens? A miracle. So they go and they are healed. And the Bible says one of them, when he saw he was healed, came back to the village where Jesus was. uh, And he said... To uh, he 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 said loudly, praising God in a loud voice, and he uh, excuse me, he came back praising God in a loud voice, and he threw himself at Jesus's feet and he thanked him. And the Bible says this. Luke records this, and he was a Samaritan. Uh, where were the others? That's what Jesus wants to know. Weren't there others? Uh, are you the only one who could come back? And uh, one of the reasons why I believe it's important for us to see that it's a Samaritan who comes back is. Uh, as a Samaritan, uh, he had no sense of entitlement. It's possible for us to serve God with a sense of entitlement, as though God owes us something. And life will usually disappoint you really quick, and uh, even serving the Lord will uh, disabuse you of the notion that you are owed something. Uh, It's the gift of God in our life. It's the goodness of God in our life. I think entitlement limits our thanksgiving And when we have no thanksgiving, what do we lose? Testimony. Why do people quit going to so many churches? Because uh, the entitlement that the church unintentionally manifests as though they're good and the rest of the world is bad. They don't have a lot of thanksgiving. They have a lot of judgment. They don't have a lot of thanksgiving. Where are the others? Well, they didn't come. Maybe they had too much a sense of entitlement. But there was one, a Samaritan. He doesn't live very entitled. He comes back and he praises God and he thanks God. Where are the others? Jesus asks them in this moment. Uh, Here is Jesus and he is about to do a, a, a tremendous miracle. And uh, this scripture, this story in Luke 17 comes to my mind of the lepers not coming back because here's the reality. When you don't come back, what it reveals is what you wanted was the gift and not the giver. You see? What do you do when you receive healing and you're going to have life and life more abundantly? Your children are now accessible to you again. Your family's now acceptable, uh, uh, accessible to you again. You're no longer ostracized. You're no longer unclean. Your life is back in your hands again. And you don't even come to say thank you. You wanted the gift. You didn't care about the giver. We can be guilty of that. We can make church about me being blessed. You see, we we can live our life where I need a miracle and I need a blessing and everything is in this kind of self-referential, spiritual, circular mode that in, in, in its essence excludes relationship. I don't want you to think I'm not for blessing. I am for blessing. I don't want you to think I am not for healing. I am for healing. But it's not enough to get a gift. We must receive the giver in our life. I'm going back to find Jesus. And I want to say this. If it had not been for your act of mercy upon me, I would still be held in the prison of sin. I still would be unclean. I still would be separated from life and life more abundantly. But you made a way. You washed my sins away. You healed my body. And so in this moment, here you have the people closest to him. They can perceive their need for a gift, but they fail to see that Jesus is the giver. You see? They know they have a need, but they cannot perceive Jesus as the giver of life. They can see him as a healer. It's different. A healer is, uh, is as it were, takes something uh, and makes it to another level. But Jesus can take nothing. He can take 
the absolute uh, absence of life. And when he is done, uh, there is a new heart beating with fresh life in uh, the story. And so Jesus, brokenhearted, that they can perceive the problem, but they cannot perceive the answer. Uh, He, weeping, says to roll away uh, the tomb. Well, let me back up one step and just remind you. First, he says, where have you laid him? This is so interesting to me because all of us have our way of coping with our problems. We all of us have our way of dealing with our struggles. Uh, Have you ever wondered uh, where you laid your problem? I'm glad you came to church today. I'm glad you're watching online. We love you. We want good things for you. How have you been dealing with your problem? Where have you laid your Lazarus? You had to deal with the problem. You had to survive. You had to cope. You had to make it. And so you did what the rest of us do. You buried it. That's what you, when you do with something you don't, can't fix, you don't know what to do, you bury it. You quit talking about it. You turn away from it. You quit talking to them. You quit trying. You bury your problem when you don't know what to do with it. And you think it's over and now it's time for mourning. But Jesus would show up and say to you, uh, I am the resurrection and the life. But it's not enough for him to know it. You need to know it. Because the problem is uh, you can only see your problem. uh, And you need to talk to that problem. And you need to say, dear problem, my God is bigger than you are. Dear problem, my God is stronger than you are. Roll back the stone. Now, this is a fine line to desecration in Jewish law here. Jesus is cutting it technically too close. uh, But this fourth day rolling back the stone is, uh, I mean, that's, we're right on the edge here. Uh, We're not supposed to deal with this. It's now desecration. It's now unlawful for me. Uh, Jesus is not limited by the same limitations you and I are. And what is uh, unclean for us uh, is a story of redemption for Christ. That's why there's a church here today. Because all of us were unclean and yet Jesus touched us. Dead and trespasses and sins. But Christ touched us. And so uh, you know the story. Jesus looks into that dark tomb and he speaks loudly, Lazarus, come forth. And for uh, all the generations that followed, we celebrate this moment. It's so powerful. Into our tombs, the voice of the Lord speaks. And he says, Lazarus, come forth. And the first thing that happens is nothing. Now, why do I say nothing? Well, go home, wrap yourself up in duct tape, lay down, and then try to stand up without help. Yeah, good luck with that. Um, it takes a little bit of rocking and rolling, and that's, 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 that's good old American rock and roll. You just have to kind of rock and roll your way back and forth, you know. Uh, you finally roll over. You get to one shoulder. That's this how you do it. Believe me, I know how to do this. I'm an expert in uh, pretending to be dead. My wife comes home and says, you're dead, and I fall to the ground. And, no, moving along. And so <laughs> uh, I imagine him trying to get to his side, and he, he, he gets up, and then he gets up. He can't go anywhere fast. Why? You ever been in a wedding? They teach you how to take wedding steps. You know those wedding steps? It's like, hmm, hmm, hmm. You can't get anywhere like that. I mean, it's like, my God, get these folks married already and give me some cake. And there, here comes Lazarus. He's doing the, he's doing the shuffle. Um, that, when I was growing up, we called that the Lazarus shout. There's people in our church who did the Lazarus shout. And they'd raise their hand. They'd go, just like that. It was the Lazarus shout. And I like to imagine that that's how Lazarus came out of that tomb. You know, he's like, mm, he's on time, God. Yes, he is. That's for you dignified Christians. I put that out there for free. Uh, Here he comes. Lazarus comes out of the tomb. Why? Because Jesus is the resurrection and the life. Do you see? They can't see beyond their problem because their faith cannot perceive so great a victory has Jesus won. They can perceive the victory of a healer. They can perceive the victory of a teacher. 
But it's really hard to expand your brain to perceive a victory so great that the Son of Man could descend to the depths and lead captivity captive and demand the keys to death, hell, and the grave with such divine authority that even before he demonstrated that moment at Calvary, he can stand before a tomb filled with death and say, Lazarus, come forth. Why does John tell us the story? Well, he tells us exactly why he tells us this story. And he says, by writing the story, the prayer of Jesus, Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around that they may believe that you sent me and when he said these things he cried with a loud voice Lazarus come out come forth the man who had died came out hands and feet bound with linen, uh, with linen strips and his faith, face wrapped in a cloth Jesus said to him unbind him and let him go The point of the miracle was not simply to relieve the problem. It was to use the problem to help the people who would read about it for a hundred, as it were, generations to come. Do you see? It was not simply for, not simply for them. And this is the reality of being people of faith. Yes, we have problems. Not all of our problems are relieved in some type of a momentary way. Remember the story of the Apostle Paul. He tells of a, an affliction he had, and he said, three times I prayed. I prayed that I would be delivered. And uh, finally, the Lord got sick of me praying. That's the NJE version of the text. The Lord got sick of hearing me praying, and the Lord answered me and said, my grace is sufficient for you. And so Paul says, okay, I accepted the problem. I accepted the problem. I no longer simply focused on the problem. Here's the reality. We think of problems not just using us, but using us up. We think our problems, when they're done with us, there's going to be nothing left. But here's the reality. The answer is beyond the problem. And the answer is so much bigger than the problem that it makes the problem null and void. Because the answer is so great. And so it is in all of our lives. God, you are used to your problems using you. But God's going to turn around and use your problems. Do you see? I know, you're, I know you may be facing difficult circumstances. I know at least two or three of you here today who are going through tremendously difficult circumstances. And the nature of our lives is that we focus upon that trouble. We focus upon that circumstance. We focus upon that pain. Uh, That's not wrong. It is in many ways the inevitable path of the human. But the job of faith is to see beyond the problem and see all the levels at which God has already won the victory. All the levels at which God has already provided a way of escape. I've come to preach hope to somebody here today. And I want you to know this from this story. Your spiritual truth exists on a deeper level than simply the problems that are in your life. In fact, this is so So profoundly true that God's solution for you is not just to heal your problem, uh, but to heal the person in the problem. God's not just going to fix your problem. God's going to fix you. Martha, can you see? I know the problem's not that you lack courage, Martha. Mary, can you see? I know the problem is not that you lack courage, Mary. You don't. 
It's not that you lack faith. It's not that you lack belief in the Lord Jesus Christ. It's just the problem is in the here and now. And it hurts and I wrestle with it. And you know what? That story is just as applicable today as it was back then. This is the story of our life. The problem is in the here and now. The pain is in the here and now. The struggle, I try to see beyond it. But it's always there. It's knocking. It's pounding. It's shouting. I don't know what else to do. So I bury it. I pretend like I just, I'll just not look at it. I'll just deal with it. Because at this point, the problem is starting to stink. And that's what we do. And now you showed up, Jesus? Uh, actually, yes. But I did this not just to bring your brother back to life, but to show you and all the world that I am the life and you have no need to fear death. You have no need to fear death. There is therefore now no condemnation. Do you see the association here? Living in condemnation is to fear that some part of your heart is bound in sin. And no matter what you do, you're condemned. And uh, I don't know if I'm right. I don't know. And I'm bound by it. I live with this fear. And I, 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 don't, I don't know. The raising of Lazarus is not just about one life. It's about all life. The raising of Lazarus is not just about one problem. It's about all problems. And the Lord Jesus Christ stands as a testimony of this profound spiritual truth. He is bigger than every problem you have. He's bigger than every sickness you have. He's bigger than every difficulty you have. Bigger than every struggle you have. Our God is bigger than anything you are going through. So our musicians are coming right now I want you to stand with me all across the house and I want to do something here uh, to have a little bit of fun with this I I started this message out entitling it uh, an address to our, our our problems and we entitled this message dear problem my God is bigger than you let's say it one more time dear problem my life I couldn't even say it. It was gone that fast. My dear problem, my God is bigger than you. All right. If you're going to talk to your problem, I want you to talk to your problem about your God. You guys have heard this before, but I want you to remind you. Our habit is talk to our God about our problem. <laughs> you know, we all are experts of that. Lord, I don't know what I'm going to do. <laughs> A time that voice cracked just so appropriately. Uh, dear God, I don't know what I'm going to do. We're going to reverse the order. And now we're going to talk to our problem about our God. Dear problem. Say it with me. Dear problem. You are not my end. Feels good to say that, doesn't it? Dear problem, say it with me. Dear problem, better days are coming. Can you say it? Say it with a little bit of faith and confidence in your life. Winston, dear cancer, my God is a healer. Dear depression. Anybody need to talk to their depression? Dear depression. My hope is in the Lord. Oh, we're having some fun now. Dear empty bank account. I knew someone was going to get a blessing. I knew someone was going to get a blessing. Dear empty bank account, my God owns the cattle on a thousand hills. Dear heartfelt wound, there is a bomb in Gilead.
dear broken home. That's a hard one, isn't it? Because you know your spouse ain't saved. You know. You know they're going to bust it wide open. You know. You know. Dear broken home. God can heal more than the body. Pray with me all over the house. Lord Jesus, we stand in your presence here today. We acknowledge that there are so many problems that we can only cover. We can only hide. We can only bury. And if we're not careful, we focus on that problem. And we cannot see the answer that is beyond the problem. And we cannot see that you will use the problem to tell others of the answer. We cannot see that you will use the problem as a light to lead others to spiritual understanding. But Lord Jesus, I pray that every one of us would awake with realization that you didn't get here too late. You didn't show up after all hope was gone. You got here just in time that we all might know that you are the resurrection and the life. And we bless you today. We worship you today. With all of our hearts, we glorify your name. We praise you because you are our hope. You are our healing. You are our answer. You make a way where there seems to be no way. You heal the sick body. You heal the broken soul. You are our answer. And we praise you here today in Jesus' name. Our worship team is going to lead us deeper in praise and worship here today. I'd like to invite every one of you who I've preached to here today, and you know that you think I've been living in your house listening to you because of what you're going through. I want you to know I haven't been doing that. I haven't been stalking you. I just have maybe walked your road, and that's why I hit so close to home. So this is what I want to say. Don't slip out of the church without taking a moment to surrender your heart to God. Whether it's where you are or whether it's coming to this front and letting our pastoral team speak the name of Jesus over you. Don't just slip out as though this word was not for you. You need to receive this word into your life, and you need to let it hit home. Not just with emotion, but with spiritual application. Is anybody hearing me here today? Our worship team is going to lead us. Our friends and guests, if you need to go at any time, you can be dismissed. We're honored to have you. But this whole house, for a little while, is going to be a house where we draw near to God. In a few moments, we'll do the other things. We'll do the, the COVID seminar. We'll do lesson three or first steps. But right now, in this house, we're drawing nigh unto Him. Right where you are, lift your hands, lift your hearts. If you want to step out and draw close, there's a lot of room down here. The presence of the Lord is here. If you need healing in your body, you ought to have faith in your life. You ought to speak the faith, the promise of God here today in Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to First Church Charlotte. If this podcast has blessed you, please rate it with four or five stars. By doing so, you will help others find our free podcast and bless them. If you're in the Charlotte, North Carolina area, come worship with us at 4929 North Sharon Amity Road. For information about service times, church ministries, and so much more, visit us online at firstchurchclt.com. If you would like to help support our efforts, please text GIVE to 704-445-5353. We pray God's richest blessings to you. Come worship with us.